Beyond the Box 63, Israel at War Part 2, A Multi-Dimensional Conflict. Of all the many challenges we face in this world on fire, nothing has our attention more than the conflict between Israel and Hamas. My phone gets regular notifications from the Jerusalem Post of rocket sirens sounding near Gaza or in the center of Israel, Tel Aviv, for example, or in the north of Israel. And I think I even read something where a lot in the very south was alerted as well. The war is definitely on. In our quest to know what is going on, we need to go a step higher and understand why it is going on. Like the sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12.32, when you understand the what and the why of any given situation, the Lord will download to you what you need to do. While the war is in danger of going from a single front to a multi-front, some would argue it already is, but especially in the North, one thing is for certain. This war is already multi-dimensional. Here are four dimensions to consider. The first, this is a blood feud. By definition, a blood feud is an inter-family squabble with a cycle of retaliatory violence. Arabs and Jews are cousins. Arabs and Jews are neighbors. With a history of harmonious community interaction that dates back for centuries and even can be found today. Yet, if violence erupts and politics divide, vengeance is possible, not just justice. Middle Eastern memories are long and strong. The tit-for-tat mindset is a factor, the eye for an eye also, but it's not the only one and it's not even the major one. Nor am I implying there's equivalence between the two parties when it comes to revenge versus justice. I'm just saying they have a history and that history is fueling part of what we're seeing today. The second thing, this is a civilizational war. The Israel-Hamas conflict may appear to be localized, but it really is a global conflict with the Western nations on the front lines, Israel just slightly ahead, but they are right behind her. And I don't mean just politically and support-wise, they're behind her on the front lines. Now, without exaggeration, is the ongoing war for the survival of Western civilization. What is Western civilization? It is based on biblical Judeo-Christian principles. The classic West represents some powerful and revered institutions and concepts like monogamous marriage, family, religious freedom, private property ownership, rule of law, equality of opportunity, human rights, limited government, maximum freedom. Contrast this with the neo-Marxist revolutionary anarchist and their Islamist allies, because how do we know their allies? A professor, a far-left professor from University of California in Berkeley, confirmed or affirmed that Hamas and Hezbollah were part of the progressive global left. And remember, the progressive global left, whether it's Islamist or it is secular, detests the Western world and all that it stands for. The neo-Marxists, or cultural Marxists, if you want, dream of a utopian world of equality of outcomes, big government that wants to sever the individual's allegiance 
to faith, family, and freedom. In their place, this utopia promises to meet your needs, keep you safe, and make you equal and happy. But to obtain these wonderful benefits, they demand total compliance. Dissent will not be tolerated. Coercion is the modus operandi. Those who fall out of line will be dealt with swiftly and severely. In short, the left wants you to trust and obey big government as a Christian is told to trust and obey the Lord. Totalitarianism is never far behind such a mindset. Now, the Islamist is similar to the neo-Marxists and also desires a global realm, except they dream of a worldwide caliphate with Jerusalem as its capital. Now, think about it. If the neo-Marxist and Islamist jihadi alliance succeeds in their goal of destroying the Western world, there will be an inevitable power struggle between them. I ask you a question and leave it with you. Which side do you think will prevail? In summary, this conflict between Israel and Hamas is not merely nationalistic, though nationalism is invoked. It is a global clash of civilizations. This war is not just about Israel's problem. It is also a problem for the West and for the wider world. Israel, which represents the West, is merely the first pin in the bowling alley. Aim the bowling ball at the correct angle, roll it with skill and strength, and not only will the first pin fly, but so will all the other pins with it. Number three, this is a theological war. While the founders of modern Israel were staunch secularists, pious Jews and evangelical Christians saw a prophetic element, if not opportunity, in the rebirth of the Jewish state in 1948 and its expansion in 1967. Few sample passages of scripture that are quoted, Jeremiah 16, verses 14 and 15, Isaiah 11, verse 11, and you can also look up Amos chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. In short, these passages speak of God gathering the dispersed of Israel from all over the world for the second time. From all lands they have been scattered and planting them in their own land, never to be uprooted again. That's particularly in Amos chapter 9, verse 15. Hamas and many mainstream schools of Islamic law have a very different theology. The unchanged 1988 Hamas Charter, although I understand it has been revised 20-some years ago, it calls for the destruction of the State of Israel, and it goes further to call for the destruction of all Jews worldwide. They believe that Palestine, which was captured by the Khalif Omar in 638 AD, became an Islamic waqf, a sacred and perpetual trust, to be reserved for future generations of Muslims until the Judgment Day. Once a land comes under Islamic rule, it must remain so permanently. For the waqt to fall into non-Muslim hands is unacceptable, if not blasphemous. Therefore, it is the Muslim's sacred duty to liberate Palestine from the occupation of the infidel Zionists, whom they consider an illegitimate entity and usurper of Muslim territory. Remember, Islam has had Jerusalem and the Holy Land from 638 AD, and with few exceptions, it was uninterrupted 
until 1948, and then again in 1967. But note something. In theory, the same logic of land under Islamic rule must remain so, and if it falls out of Islamic rule, it must be restored. That doesn't just apply to Palestine. It also applies to Spain and to India, which were once part of Dar al-Islam, the House of Islam, but have since broken away. There is some more from the Israel Today magazine on the 31st of October, 2023. There was an article entitled, Holy War, Israel and Iran Trade Spiritual Barbs. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu quoted the Bible stating that the Israel-Hamas war was like the Battle of Amalek, the ancient enemy of Israel. Iran and its Lebanese proxies, Hezbollah, saw that this was a declaration of holy war. The latter, Hezbollah, made a video and they quoted from the Quran. The quote from the Quran, Surah 17, Surah al-Izra, says something like this. So when the time of promise came for the first of them, we sent against you, Israel, servants of ours, those of great military might, and they probed even into the homes, and it was a promise fulfilled. So in other words, this passage deals with Allah's punishment of Israel and the Jews, promising a day when the forces of Islam will be defeated from the Jewish people and enter their homes in order to establish the word of Allah. For Israelis, it was a clear taunt after the horrendous attacks on their homes in southern Israel on the 7th of October, 2023, by jihadists of Hamas. So this is a theological war, and it will be considered as such till the end. Now remember, for Western secularists who are proposing solutions to the Arab-Israeli conflict, they don't see anything as theological. They see it as political, one-dimensional. Two parties, or maybe three, intertwined and engage with each other in conflict. But, friends, it is theological. Yeah, there will be an argument. We haven't had theological wars since the Crusades. The fact is, even secular Marxism, in its own way, is theological. Wokeism is theological. It is humanistic religion, but it has all the tenets of religion as well. Then the final thing. This is a spiritual war. Now, for the mature, Bible-based, and spirit-led Christian, this should come as no surprise. According to Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18, we are to put on the whole armor of God. Allow me to quote from that passage now. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this war age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand within the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, 
with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. This is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. We are to put on the whole armor of God, because the truth is, the real fight is not with flesh and blood, like Hamas, the Iranian Ayatollahs, or the secular Western left. These are people that are loved of God and the object of Christ's atoning sacrificial death. The battle is not with them. The real battle is with invisible spiritual powers and hosts of wickedness in high places. Now, you might recall in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, it speaks of a spiritual entity and stronghold called the Prince of Persia. He is powerful, so powerful he halted the angelic visitation to Daniel, who had been praying and fasting for a breakthrough. Daniel was heard from day one, but it was only on the 21st day that the angelic visitor made it, and he said, I had to contend with the Prince of Persia, and I'll have to contend with him on the way back. It's the same spiritual principality and power decades later that instigated Haman's devilish scheme to murder all the Jewish people in the Persian Empire. This story is told in the book of Esther, even though it doesn't explicitly mention the Prince of Persia by name. And I just find it interesting that Gaza, the city, and the Strip is part of the ancient Quote, land of the Philistines. They, like Amalek, were Israel's ferocious ancient enemies. Their name, the Philistines, was taken by the Greco-Romans and translated into Palestine from the Philistines. It's a replacement name for Judea. This particularly happened under the Romans in the 2nd century AD. Today's conflict between Israel and Hamas mirrors that which happened long ago during the time of the judges and the reigns of King Saul and David. We are seeing the most horrific manifestations of anti-Semitism in our lifetime, the worst since the Holocaust of the 1940s. Who would have guessed that protesters at the Sydney Opera House would chant, gas the Jews, less than 80 years after the never again Holocaust? Or they would gather in Caulfield, Melbourne, 41% Jewish, on the eve of Sabbath, when they're in the synagogues. Who could have imagined they would be there to taunt Jewish people who have absolutely nothing to do with the conflict on the other side of the world? Since the 7th of October, global anti-Semitism rose by 1180%. Just in the city of London alone, anti-Semitism has skyrocketed to 1,350%. That is massive. If Jewish people have an end-time prophetic role and future, then it should be no surprise that the forces of darkness seek to destroy them so that these prophecies will not come to pass. Despite their strength and ferocity, they will nevertheless fail according to these same prophecies. It's war all right a multi-dimensional one. In the latter arena, the all-important spiritual dimension is where the church is best equipped to fight. Its armory is unbeatable, 
Ephesians 6, which I've already quoted to you, 1 John 3, 8 and 44, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil, and greater is he that is in thee than he that is in the world. Here's another one for you, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, and I'm going to quote that one right now. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We are well-equipped friends. Remember this maxim, intercessors will save the world. It is time to be strong in the Lord and to be courageous. Put on the whole armor of God, because it's time to go to work.